Welcome to the Jill on Money Coronavirus Market Update. It is Saturday, June 13th, and as a wonderful enhancement to your life, I will bring to you once again my best friend from high school, Mark Spindell, as our guest. Now, he's more than just my best friend. He is the founder and chief investment officer of Potomac River Capital. He is also the co-author of The Myth of Independence, How Congress Governs the Federal Reserve. I am bringing Mark back on the show because I adore him and I talk to him constantly about what's going on in the world. And I figured it was nicer of me to share his wisdom with you directly rather than spout off what he says in a way that's not as smart as he is, right? So Mark's parents and my parents are best friends. And so we really did grow up together. We grew up more more as cousins than we did as uh, friends. So we are really like family. And so that's why I can call him at six o'clock in the morning and ask him questions. So Mark, here we are. It's June. It is now basically a hundred days since most of the country went on lockdown. Can you describe how you see the economy big picture right now? So we've we've clearly been in a huge hole, a somewhat self-induced medical coma, the need to self-quarantine, to socially distance, to really shut down a, an entire uh, an entire range of non-essential workers sent the economy into a very deep tailspin uh, a sharp rise in unemployment the likes of which none of us have ever seen uh, a huge collapse in gross domestic product the output you know again I think the thing to keep in mind is that we clearly had to prioritize health policy over any kind of economic policy. That being said, uh, just last week, uh, we saw a somewhat shocking rise in, uh, in the labor markets. Uh, no one had suspected that we'd see that uptick in May, which suggests to me that the hole is uh, slightly shallower than we first thought. So what do you think has happened to make this perhaps a shallower hole than anticipated? So I think one thing is we've we've managed to get our heads somewhat around social distancing um, and figuring out ways to work. Construction, for example, is an area where people can work outside. I think the news, the science stories on COVID have been really hard for for most people to get their heads around. You know, obviously a lot of fear at first, uh, a lot of worry about surface transmission. That seems to be a little less aggressive than we thought. Wearing masks, it turns out, can reduce the transmission rate uh, significantly. So in the service sector, it turns out that the hospitality industry uh, was one of the, if not the largest employer, uh, upwards of 15 million people employed in uh, restaurants, food away from home, travel and hotel sector. Clearly, that took a big hit. You know, we've been able to deploy some technology to get restaurants in a sort of takeout mode, um, and you know, just recently, have sit, as cities have begun to move into a phase one reopening, um, there's even some ability to start to think about eating out with tables, uh, hopefully safely spread apart. That caps, you know, the the level at which uh, the restaurant sector can return. 
but uh, it changes the direction from, uh, from laying people off or furloughing staff to bringing some of those back. Separately, we've seen the delivery business. I think uh, certain pizza delivery chains um, have seen their best, uh, best weeks and months uh, ever. So you've seen some same-store sales activity in, uh, in the traditional delivery sector really shooting the lights out. And I think you know, the triage that some sectors, particularly tech um, and firms that can avail themselves of technology, have actually been doing quite well. So that is all good, and the pickup is good. But this does not actually mean that the 20 million people or so that have are sidelined, it doesn't mean that they're all coming back. So we're sort of saying, okay, there are these some sectors that are doing better than others. And if you had to ballpark it at this point, what do you think the second quarter GDP is going to drop by? How much? Give us a guesstimate. A hard dart to throw. Uh, and I've said to someone that uh, you know the, the range on my forecast might be almost as large as the forecast itself. But let's say the second quarter declines at a 40% annualized rate. And so, so that's April, May, June, a contraction of about 40% on an annualized basis. Okay. So now let's talk about the second half of the year. As we look at the second half of the year ahead of us, Obviously, that's kind of where investors are looking at, you know, second half and next year, they're all in the future. But I want to stay on the economy for a second. If you look at many of the sort of big economists who are looking out there, let's say even the National Association for Business Economics or even the CBO, they're all saying that essentially that the total value of the U.S. economy, goods and services, will fall by, let's call it five and a half to six percent or five to six percent. Is that a pretty fair estimate for 2020, you think? Yeah, I think, you know, again, this huge hit that we're going to take in the second quarter will see some rebound into the second half, which you're focusing on. I don't think we've got enough momentum or runway in 2020 to undo this ditch that we've dug for ourselves. You know, I think another way to think about the health of the economy and maybe one that uh, I think matters to listeners, to investors, to the country is the level of unemployment. GDP has some sort of intricacies, complexities, but people know whether they're working or not. That loss of 25 million jobs from you know, one of the, the strongest labor markets in not just our lifetimes, but any lifetimes uh, up until uh, February, you know, reversed itself pretty sharply. And when I said that the ditch might be a little bit shallower, the hole not as deep as we thought, we still have a very long way to go. So one number that I tend to focus on is an expectation for where the unemployment rate will be at Christmas this year. You know, we got to, to sub 4% in February, and by Christmas of this year, we may only get to 10 or or 9%. That is an awful lot of individuals who still aren't working, a sign that the economy has not nearly recovered. So, you know, I, I think that that sounds about right, and it certainly does jibe with a lot of the, the prognosticators. But I guess I'm also wondering... Do you also see there, like I think there was from the University of Chicago, some some idea that many of these layoffs, which we thought were temporary, will be permanent simply because the nature of how some industries operate is going to change. How do you see that playing out? 
Absolutely. So, you know, I don't think we've got a chance of getting back to three and a half percent unemployment for many, many quarters. As we said, just, you know, the service sector, uh, food away from home, the restaurant, hospitality industry, they just will uh, sort of unlikely be allowed to go back to full strength. If we are never going to get back to full strength. At at least not in in the sort of foreseeable investable future. Okay. Okay. So now... Tell us why the stock market has just gone completely ballistic to the upside. What explains that with all the caveats you're giving us? Because you're saying, okay, the hole may be shallower, maybe social distancing is working in certain areas, but that unemployment is probably still going to be 9 or 10%, that a lot of these jobs are vanishing for good, that the economy is going to be smaller at the end of this year than the beginning of this year by 5 or 6%. What's up with the stock market? Explain it to us. By the middle to end of March, we saw a particularly strong set of tools deployed by the Federal Reserve. They let loose a very strong arsenal, essentially offering free money, free loans uh, to a uh, a whole range of borrowers. That was a powerful uh, stimulus in the global financial crisis a decade ago, and I think tools were rolled out very quickly uh, in March to essentially tell investors, tell savers, uh, tell economic agents that the Fed has their back. Coupled with a series of fiscal policies rolled out by Congress, including some payroll protection, uh, a fair amount of, uh, of other government stimulus. But I think that one-two punch of monetary and fiscal policy essentially said to people by the end of March that the government was engaged. Are they engaged enough? Um, is it going to happen quickly enough? Too soon to tell, even now three months into it. But I think investors by the end of March were just worried that maybe we were going to sink into a multi-year, even deeper hole. And I think the the payroll report uh, last week uh, suggested, as we've said, that most economists' consensus forecast was for another loss of jobs, significant seven and a half million jobs expected to be lost, and we gained uh, almost three million jobs. So from what we expected to the jobs produced, that's a 10 million job difference. So strong monetary policy, uh, some initial and continuing fiscal policy. Congress is debating perhaps another trillion uh, dollar package. So a range of uh, range of tools from Washington. Again, I don't think are working fast enough to get us back to uh, the strong economy that we saw at the end of last year through February, but uh, certainly better than investors have expected. Second thing, strong growth in the technology sector. Mm. So again, sort of firms that were winners or could uh, could use the environment to their advantage, really powering the market uh, market forward. I think investors have looked at 2020, trying to give themselves a pass on that with the expectation that 2021 is going to get them back onto a pretty solid earnings trend. They've discounted maybe the best possible outcome, particularly in the tech sector. I also think the financial sector, which has been the primary beneficiary of the free money from the Federal Reserve, the very low interest rates, they found ways to lend that to high-grade borrowers, to high-yield borrowers, those investment-grade and, and high-yield sectors absolutely supported by uh, additional policy tools of the Federal Reserve. It feels to me like we've stretched ourselves pretty thin in terms of the uh, the new expectations. 
And I would bring it back to the economy that to the extent we think the labor market is still going to be suffering by Christmas of this year, the hole might be shallower. We might be getting ourselves out of it uh, quicker than we thought, but we still have a very long way to go. That's at least like a more measured approach to, you know, everybody saying mission accomplished. We're back at work. Everyone's rocking and rolling. I also am interested to see how different parts of the economy start reacting next year, because we had a whole host of companies that said, oh, no, no, we're not laying anyone off this year, 2020, blah, blah, blah. Next year, uh, I don't know. I feel like there could be a whole wave of layoffs in uh, more of like the white collar layoffs. Like, okay, everyone worked for a home, that's fine. But now we figured out we don't need everybody. What do you think? First of all, keep in mind that the payroll protection plan, which Congress rolled out, really compelled firms to try to keep staff uh, on board. That could run out by the end of the summer. So this isn't even a 2021 story. To your broader point, yes, I think have firms or will firms realize that we talked about restaurants, we talked about the hospitality sector, perhaps airplanes are going to operate at new lower capacity levels. Will firms that have typically packed uh, labor in, will technology take off? You know, I think these are all risks. Now, will the entrepreneurial and animal spirits find ways for the labor market to clear? Sure. Will prices adjust in that process? You know, if we can think back to our undergrad microeconomics, absolutely. But that takes time. And the displacement is hard. The, the transition from not so much an old economy, but to a new, a new economy, I think will take some time to put in place. And that, that's not a 2020, that might not even be a 2021 story. All right. Mark Spindell, he is my best bud, oldest friend, amazing, great stories about everything in our lives, never to be shared with the public. Um, he is the founder and chief investment officer of Potomac River Capital. He is also the co-author of an amazing tome called The Myth of Independence, How Congress Governs the Federal Reserve. Tomorrow in your feed, we're going to feature a, uh, a nice short interview with Mark about the Federal Reserve, about its actions. And once and for all, an expert is going to explain negative interest rates. So we're going to do that tomorrow. Remember for today, wash your hands, wear your masks, maintain your social distancing, and do something nice for somebody else in your life. Please, we'll talk to you tomorrow. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.